Hello and welcome back to the podcast. For today's episode, Laura Louise spoke to Val Hergen about how she discovered her sexuality abroad and her experience of same-sex domestic abuse. Val begins by introducing herself and telling Laura Louise about her identity. About me, so I'm Val, um, or Valerie. I feel like I only get called Valerie when I'm in trouble, so um, most people call me Val, um, but either is fine. Um, I am a non-binary lesbian, that's how I identify, um, from Ireland, but I've kind of lived all over my whole life. I've never really, I'd say my family have been most settled in the Tipperary area, but I've actually lived in lots of different counties and why I feel like I don't have an accent from one part of Ireland. I wasn't able to place your accent actually. Yeah, yeah. So I think I tend to take on accents of where I spend time as well. Although I just lived in Australia for about four and a half years and didn't take that one on. <laughs> no, I'm not getting that. <laughs> the odd time it comes out in like little snippets here and there, but mostly, yeah, it doesn't. It's 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 a pretty subtle one. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I feel like I'm a pretty average like mid thirties person. I. I'm really, really deeply into music and literature and poetry and tend to spend every moment that I'm not working doing something in those spaces. And I really love to write. So getting the opportunity to kind of do these um, two articles for GCN and hopefully some more in the future um, felt really like an important thing to me and a really lovely way to come back to living in um, Ireland and Dublin again. And such a nice way to kind of connect to the community here and doing the soapbox sessions. That's been um really like I've met so many fabulous people through that and through Dublin Lesbian Line so yeah it's been a really positive experience coming back. Yeah you're amazing you've completely thrown yourself <laughs> into the community um, and also you say about loving music I haven't been out that, mu- that much this summer but everywhere I've been I've seen you yeah <laughs> <laughs> which has been wonderful of, cro- of course to like experience Nick Cave <laughs> yes at the same time together Um, so yeah so you said you identify as a non-binary lesbian could you please um, chat through where you're at with your identity and how you came to those, um, feeling comfortable with those terms? Yeah, I think it's so interesting because they are two terms that are almost a dichotomy, but that sits so with like in me, they just feel so right when I feel when I think about those two things and um, I guess what they mean to me. Um, I, I think one thing I've been reflecting on is, you know, being a part of the LGBTQIA plus community um, and being genderqueer can almost become your personality in a way. Yes. And I think that's something that I've been thinking about. There's so like human beings are so complex and there's so many facets to us. And I've I've kind of been moving more towards the feeling that I don't want that to be when someone looks at me, they just identify me as those two things and nothing else. So that's been something I've been reflecting on. But I think how I've arrived at this point is Growing up in rural Ireland, I never felt like I fitted in, ever. Um, I definitely, you know, outwardly presented myself to fit in because I felt that pressure to going to, like, you know, all-girls schools, all-female um, schools, which were, like, run by nuns. And, you know, what you were taught in school, in hindsight, was just so toxic and limiting. Um, but I think, yeah, I never really felt like I fitted in anywhere and how I, like, expressed myself. And even I was always a very creative person, and that was really squashed down through my schooling like um I remember in writing a poem that <laughs> so like silly in hindsight but I wrote a poem that got published in a centenary book for Patrick Kavanagh which to me was this huge deal in my life and as a result we had to attend this like poetry awards thing at night when I was in about fifth year and my teacher had to come and she came but afterwards she was like please don't enter anything else because I never want to have to go down anything out of hours again so that's like that I feel like is such a summation of how I was like squashed into this 
um, very straight, very heteronormative culture from a very young age. And um, I really struggled with that all through my 20s. I was deeply unhappy. I lived in Dublin. I think on the outside, it seemed like I had this, you know, I had a good job. I had a partner. I had like lots of friends and acquaintances and a very active social life. But inside, I just it never felt right. So fast forward a bit. I moved to Melbourne in 2017 by myself um, and uh, by myself initially. I should put an asterisk on that. And um, I was open. My eyes were opened to this world that I didn't even know existed, which was all these incredible um, queer people that were just living so freely and expressively and like blurring the boundaries across so many different types of gender norms and sexuality um, and how they identified. And for the first time in my life, I had this feeling like I'd come home to myself, even though I was on the opposite side of the world. And that's how I arrived at <laughs> non-binary lesbian where I am today was spending time in those spaces. Wow, that's incredible. Um, yeah, it sounds like you encountered such a vibrant community over there that um, I think that definitely in 2017, that was the year that I first heard non-binary. So um, I just think it was not very prevalent at the time being used here at all. Um, and it's definitely grown over the last few years. And what about pronouns for you? How does that sit with you? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it goes back to that feeling of like not wanting to be overly boxed in. So I think mm. I've I think I'm using she they at the moment and that feels right for me. So, you know, I, I don't really identify with any of the parts of being like a feminine woman, but I equally don't identify with any of the parts of what we would think about of masculinity for men. Uh, maybe in some of my dress sense. Yes. But I actually like to think that that's more of like a, you know, a reclamation of some form of like butch womanhood rather than I like I feel like men get to own this look and image and that like just be, you know due to um societal norms women haven't been allowed to own and I'm like yeah. I don't necessarily think they get to have it <laughs> I'm with you on that absolutely <laughs> um but yeah she they I think is you know I, I'm really like very much believe in feminism and I'm a you know intersectional feminist and I think um I didn't want to lose that part of who I was because that's so core to who I am. And when I think about things that we fought for here in Ireland over the last 10 years, like repeal the eighth and marriage equality and the people that I spoke to and met, you know, going through the journeys of, of those um, those fights for our rights. I, I, that part feels really true to me still. But equally, I don't really feel like the binary of either male or female fits me either. So mm. I feel like that's a happy middle ground for me where I, I sit comfortably. And do you ever um, feel then uncomfortable with the how binary the word lesbian is or what that means? Yeah, it's I mean, it's such a, a hot topic at the moment, isn't it? You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody is. It's so controversial. And I think I it's something I've been doing a lot of deep thinking about um, for me when I so I didn't actually come out until I moved to Australia. Um, I just never felt like I had the space or capacity to do that here in Ireland before. Um, you know, some of my own creation, but also some of the creation of the environment that I that I had been in for such a long time. Um, I feel like the term lesbian was such a like moment of clarity for me when I finally was like, this is how I identify. This is who I am. It's such a safe like space that I know 
like how I feel about the world, how I interpret the world, how I interact with, you know, people that I'm attracted to and love. And um, I just that's something that's been so, so important to my personal identity. Um, however, there is a raging debate around who should be allowed to identify as a lesbian at the moment, which I think is so interesting. And I think a lot of that rhetoric comes from this rise of like transphobia and turfism in the UK, but equally some of the you know dialogue that's happening in the US at the moment. And historically, lesbianism has been such a, I don't know, such a space for people to like be fluid. And if we think about it, it has always challenged gender norms. Like, I think that's what's really true of lesbianism. And it's been an inclusive space for people that, you know, that feel like that's what's right for them. And I don't see why we can't still hold that. You know, we're not saying that nobody can, you know, we're, we're not saying that a cis lesbian can't identify as a cis lesbian and hold those norms that feel right for them it's just like let's widen it and include more people that want to identify that way as well so yeah it's it's challenging but um I do feel like anyone that I've spoken to at length about it like lesbians that feel very strongly about it once we have that open conversation do tend to come around (laughs) well I hate that you have to have that conversation though Mm. and kind of um not justify because you don't have to justify but for people who don't understand like kind of almost convince like who gets who gets to have the power like that Mm. you because you identify as non-binary as well as lesbian you then have to convince this this lesbian that you get to be there like nobody should get to make the decision like that debate about who can identify as a lesbian well Mm. whoever feels that they're a lesbian um it's just yeah I don't it's something I've always really struggled to comprehend and I don't even think it's because out of being, you know, yeah, really, I hope that I'm inclusive, but I'm always learning and I make a lot of mistakes. But just that kind of thing has all, has never been something that needs to be explained because it's like it's someone else's feelings. Mm. And especially in our community, when we're meant to be kind of growing and learning all the time, how strange then that we'd want to narrow who can feel. And we've been told all our lives to be and feel and live a certain way. How strange that we would do that to our own community yeah absolutely I think there's two parts to it for me like one is that for me like queer community especially people that identify as women or non-binary are my sanctuary like that's where I truly feel like I'm seen I'm heard I feel safe I don't have to think about how I'm showing up and I just feel accepted so I think we need to anyone that identifies within these you know um binary terms I would say which is what lesbian is um and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think they need to think about what they have gotten from the space and what they needed from that word and how they apply that to other people that need to identify that way as well um and I do think that this it stems from fear I think this this not wanting to you know to to broaden the horizons of what the term or evolve the term of what lesbian means and I think it's been an ever-evolving term um I think it comes from fear and I I do think that we need to recognize that and that people are worried that they're losing their identity and that's a valid fear I I don't think that there's anything wrong with them anything wrong with people feeling like that or wanting to make sure that they protect that but I think we need to protect it in an inclusive way that all also allows all the other people that need the space to for it to be held for them too um and I think something we've spoken about before is the idea of like calling people in rather than calling them out. And I feel at the moment the the debate around this is very polarized. It's like either you're in 
the the lesbians should only be cis women camp or you're in the everybody gets included camp and actually it doesn't need to be that way we can you know we can we can have a, a really open and healthy conversation about this about how we we work to evolve what lesbianism means by calling these people in with us and understanding where they're coming from and hearing them it, they're afraid of losing their voice and they're afraid of losing their platform so let's make sure that we respect that but while they're also respecting you know the full spectrum of queerness I find you so incredibly compassionate. It's honestly, my heart is just swelling <laughs> listening to you speak, Val. Um, because, you know, um, like I said, there is so um, much, I don't even want to say, describe it as debate because there's a lot of calling out, as you say, instead of calling in and kind of excluding people. Um, and that's happening a lot at the moment. Um, and yeah just that you're able to take such a compassionate approach to that is very beautiful um and thank you so so much um so but on that on the calling people in um what are the kind of things in queer spaces that since coming back to ireland and and being as out as you have been and making such an effort in the community as you have been that help you to feel both um included or the things that make you feel excluded yeah i think it's it's openness isn't it it's it's people being open to meeting you where you are um, I think it's I think also something that's really important to me and something that I have definitely been guilty of in the past is assuming things about people you know like we all we all make assumptions without actually wanting to make assumptions like we make them before we even realize we're making them so I think it's really trying to come into spaces um, queer spaces with an open mind and trying to leave your biases at the door as hard as that can be we all have them but I think you know the biggest lesson I've probably learned in the last couple of years through my professional and my personal life is people are never as they seem like we all have so much to our story that's so nuanced like I said humans are so complex um I'm so complex like there's so many layers to me and there's so few people that truly really know who I am um that I hope when I go into queer spaces I think what I find is that often I'm met with openness and that's what's so important like people are so open to who I am what my journey is what my story is and they're inclusive I feel included in most queer spaces that I go into like I like I'm seen, heard, respected, and I don't have to do any explaining for myself. Whereas a lot of the time, I I always use the term, I'm not sure if it's like okay to use, but it's a term that I coined. Um, say like I go to a wedding or like a, like a, a predominantly heterosexual wedding, or I have to spend like an extended amount of time, maybe like a couple of days around mostly straight people. Um, I get het lag, as I like to call it. <laughs> Because it's you're being seen as different, especially for me who physically presents as quite que- like outwardly presents as quite queer. I'm seen as different. Like you get a lot of looks, you get a lot of questions. You know, it's kind of exhausting sometimes. And I feel like being in queer spaces, all the burden of that is just gone, and you could just get to be you. And that's what's so that's what I think is so important to me to have those and protect those spaces. You know, there we don't have a lot of them, so we really, especially in Dublin, it's I think it's gotten better, but you know they're still thin on the ground sometimes <laughs> um thank you so much and what about things that um would make you feel excluded would it be like a, the opposite to that yeah I think um you know something that's been really I think something that I wasn't conscious of when I lived in Ireland before is how um closed Irish people can be about their friendship groups um not all not all people definitely not but you know a lot of people have their kind of school friends that they've been friends with since they've been 15 14 15 and that's their main group of friends and newcomers aren't necessarily welcome in that and I think that can also be true within the queer community where people have these set friendship groups like somebody said to me recently oh I actually have enough friends now 
I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I don't resonate with that. Like, I love meeting new people and engaging with new people. And I get that that's a probably like a simplistic lens to think about it because there's so many different types of people that might struggle with meeting new people or might be more introverted, etc. Um, but I do think, um, yeah, I, I've definitely been to a few queer events and um, been in a couple of spaces where I've felt excluded because I'm new. Um, and I think that's probably the, the, you know, the, the biggest barrier to overcome. I would say that's the minority, not the majority. But I think it's um, you never know how someone is showing up in a queer space. Like I'm an extrovert. I love meeting new people. I can navigate those moments quite easily and be like, this is fine. This is just how these people are. And like, this is how they want to interact with each other. And I don't fit with that. And that's OK for me. But like, what if you're a queer person that's moved to Dublin from rural Ireland and hasn't had that community and that's your first experience? So I think I always like to think about when I'm meeting new people, like I don't know where this person's coming from. Um, they might really need a friend right now and um, you know let's try and be inclusive as much as we can and that's probably the times that I've that I've struggled especially being new back in Dublin and having to kind of restart my life here in the last couple of months. That's really fascinating because it sounds like the times you felt more excluded in queer spaces recently haven't been to do with identity or you know kind of people not being accepting of that it's more to do with people being closed off to new friends and new experiences. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. That is, uh, that's something that I've seen as well. I think that I used to think of it as like um, when I would try and go to meetups and things like that, that sometimes the kind of very, uh, I, I'm very struck with what you said earlier about fear. Mm. Um, I think sometimes people are possessive of their identity and the labels because of fear and also about things like friends group that perhaps they were excluded in school or, you know, they didn't get to make those work friends with their identity. And then when they find people, they want to hold on really tight and not let anyone else in in case mm. they they lose that. But in the same way, when you're narrow about identity, if you kind of close yourself off in terms of friends, there's so many experiences you can just Absolutely. miss out on. Like I, one really sweet thing that's happened to me in the last few months is I made a really la last minute decision to go and see a K-Tempest concert, um, which thank whatever agnostic power there is I went because it was the best live performance I've ever been to um, in Vicker Street and like at the last second I looked up to see was there any meetup groups going to this event and there was one person that had posted in saying I'm going to go by myself like does anybody want to come and nobody had responded so I messaged this was probably like an hour before the show I messaged saying I'm going to go do you still want to get a drink like beforehand I'll meet you that person has become like one of my favorite people in Dublin like that is incredible <laughs> you know this is the bravery of putting themselves out there and then you responding to that because I think it can be you know scary to do that and then if no one replies and then it's just mm. this public message it can be hard to have the confidence to do that again exactly. and again and yeah. but it sounds like it's it was openness worth it. yeah, yeah it's openness. openness it's being open to other people and living life in the moment like which is really hard sometimes but I find that always creates the best the best experiences and adventures as cheesy as that is <laughs> I like it though <laughs> Um, so you've uh, been really open about your identity and um, another area that I saw you speak about when you were doing the soapbox sessions and in one of the articles is about um, intimate partner violence. So if you're comfortable to, could you tell us about your experience of abuse in a relationship? Yeah, so I feel like it's really imp probably important to set the scene for how this situation came about because it's the, I think, you know, abuse in relationships is always mostly so complex it just like you know of course there's going to be cases where it just happens and it's it, there isn't complexity to it but a lot of the time these situations arise from vulnerabilities and 
you know, a whole load of domino effects coming together that creates this moment that you find yourself in. So like I said, in 2017, I, I was in a relationship with a man um, and it he is a fantastic person and one of my best friends <laughs> uh, to this day. Um, I adore him. Um, but we just something wasn't right. Like I like I said, we were at that point where the next step would have been to like buy a house and get married and have a baby. And um, I was something in me was deeply resisting that. And I couldn't really understand why, because so many people around me were starting to do it. And it was so right for them and they were so happy. And I was like, that sounds like hell to me. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, it was like making me like, anxious on the daily. And um, so I made this decision. to. I actually had this big turning point at my job, um, which had been a really great job that I really loved. And I had the decision to like stay on and sign this kind of like longer term contract or to leave. So I decided to leave and I moved to Australia um, alone, knowing one person. And um, my partner at the time was going to follow me out there. Um, a couple of months later so we had a really open conversation about what was going on and you know he's really a fantastic person and I went out ahead of him and started to slowly figure out who I was like those first few months out there were so deeply confronting like it was I just felt like a, I felt like an alien that's the only way. I'm an Aquarius so I always feel like an alien but I felt like such an such an alien <laughs> I'm an Aquarius as Yay. well <laughs> um I always feel like an out like a like I'm on the outside of with my brain how my brain works but um yeah I I found that a really confronting experience and I went through like so many emotions anyway fast forward to like a year later we broke up and I was really um less than a year later but we broke up and I was really trying to figure out like who I was and I started going on dates with women and that wasn't my first experience of being with a woman but it was my first like intentional experience I would say um and I think I was really vulnerable like I was trying to process I was really far from home, everything that I'd known. I was new in a city where I really didn't know anybody. Um, so I'd, I'd been living in different parts of Australia and then moved to Melbourne. And I um, went on a date with this woman and, oh my God, like for the first time in my life, all these things like love songs made sense. And it's so cringy like to think about it, but like love songs made sense. And like the idea of concept of being able to fall in love like that made sense. And yeah I was like I'm gay like there's no two do- two ways about it but I was in a very vulnerable position so we very quickly got into this like super intense relationship that was really lovely at the start like it truly was you know and yes it, we had a very problematic relationship but you know every person has some really good parts to them which is very true of this and we had so much fun together um I was in a kind of a an unstable living situation and um, ended up having to leave my like third house in a short period of time because the landlord wanted to sell it and my partner at the time also was having issues with where she was living so we decided to move in together really quickly and I think that is what really I guess was the crux of the issue like we didn't truly know each other when you don't live with someone you don't really you see a lot of them but you don't get to see all sides of them and it was when we started living together in person that that was when all of the the cracks and the issues started to show up and I I started to feel afraid every day like that was I'd never been in a situation like that before where I'd had to fear for my safety um you know in my own home um and it's a really it's an awful experience it's it's very it's like waking up every day and a wave is drowning you that's the only way I can describe it it was very painful it sounds like it and it really when you the way you paint that picture of how it came about I imagine a lot of people will be hearing some of their own experiences to varying degrees listening to that because it is that thing of um, 
instability and vulnerability um creating the space for two people to kind of become in an unhealthy environment very quickly and depending on the setup and the people that are involved like that can turn into abuse and and fear in your own home Mm, yeah and I think like it was such a unique set of circumstances as well like we ended up moving to a suburb that was kind of far away not far away but like a 10 minute drive to my friends Um, we were in lockdown so the limit that we could go was five kilometers from the house and you weren't supposed to see somebody from another house at the time um and I had been kind of sick on and off like I I um was having there was like all the bushfires that happened in Australia around that time and COVID was really kicking off and it was just a really like it was like a pressure cooker situation um and I think um very quickly it went from me being on like cloud nine about this amazing person that I'd met in this amazing relationship that I was in and you know I was like coming out to people for the first time like it was such a hard moment to be like I'm I'm queer I'm in love I've met this amazing person to this complete 180 to like oh god (laughs) like what is my life like I'm 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 genuinely frightened all the time and and having nobody having no support system there in that moment was just so awful like I hadn't literally nobody I had no validation so like I was living in a vacuum I was experiencing all of these really awful things in my own home like you know aggression outbursts um alcoholism like so many intense um very difficult to navigate things with nobody to kind of support me in that and like that I think that's you know something that I wrote about in the article is I would like google at night time being like is this abuse what is abuse what same-sex abuse like what are can women be abusive it was so because I think when we think about abuse it's always so like you know um heterosexual males is where our brains go so for me I felt almost like I was betraying my own identity I still identified as um a cis woman at the time and um, I felt like I was betraying this it was so confusing it was just so confusing and I think that's why I ended up staying in the situation probably a lot longer than I would have if I'd had validate external validation from the professionals that I tried to get help from or from my workplace or or been able to regularly connect with friends who really did try to support me but not being able to see each other and being in a house with the person that's creating the situation it was very difficult like like you know my phone she would check my phone all the time every time my phone went off who's contacting you why are they contacting you you can't speak to this person you know very it was a very it was a very hard situation to be in and I think especially like what you were saying about having to look up like is this abuse like knowing knowing something was wrong feeling fear but then not having that kind of I guess there not being any visibility around it which again is why I'm extra grateful that you're speaking about this today um, and also why I want to ask again if you're comfortable to um, kind of you said you know about phone checking alcoholism isolations like what ways did it did the abuse really portray itself just for anybody that's listening that might also be having that feeling in their stomach where they're like oh I think that might be me like, yeah I think I think abuse is different in different situations so you know like I don't want to give an exhaustive list of here's what abuse looks like because it can be so many things but for me it was really that kind of coercive control um so um yeah like who are you speaking to why are you speaking to them not being allowed to see certain people um outbursts like every day at home very aggressive frightening like I was like very scared and it was interesting like I kind of always thought it was only in private but I remember we had like a trades person come to the house and I'll never forget the look on his face when she like was having this outburst like he looked scared of her and that was such a like I would say that was one of the turning points where I was like oh if he's looking at her like this then maybe my 
assumption of the situation is correct like this isn't okay and actually my sister my youngest sister moved over to Australia the poor the poor thing at the very start of the pandemic she had such a terrible time um and I remember her like saying they stayed with us for six weeks at the start and I remember her saying like what is going on here like this is this is a really something's really wrong in this situation and to be fair to her she would like ring me every single day until I left to be like like are you okay what's happening today why aren't you leaving and I think it was her like consistent support through that period that finally and a couple of like other big moments that finally made me go I don't even know who I am anymore like I'm broken like I I'm such a like outgoing confident happy positive person although I don't like the word positive that much but you know like I'm I'm generally such a like uh, there's a lot of life in me I think and I feel like that was completely gone to the point that I couldn't function and I had to get out so I think um I think that what you need to do in that situation is realize that you actually can't stop the abuse and like no matter how much I was I tried to negotiate so much all the time in the moment being like what what's the problem why are you feeling like this like what's created this anger and like often it was something that I would have done or said but I wouldn't it was a quite a normal thing that I was doing or saying like I wouldn't have washed the dishes right or I would have spoken to someone on the phone and on the phone in a tone that wasn't approved of or I would have spent an extra hour at work that day or I would have gone to a zoom party with my friends you know when it, like in the evening like it could have been anything but I think um I think realizing that I couldn't no matter wha- what I tried to do in the situation I couldn't stop it and I think that was a that was I was like I was losing myself and I was like I have to leave or I'm going to hit the point of no return here um I think that's the thing for a lot of people isn't it that it's um you were doing normal things it's that the reaction to them isn't normal and isn't healthy so no matter what you tried to edit or change whatever you did somehow was always going to elicit those reactions in the person Mm. because they're abusing Mm. you um and you said that you lost yourself your sister sounds incredible um because it can be very difficult to continuously reach out to a person almost especially if you love them so much to keep you know and you see them in pain and struggling um and how did you eventually leave then what was the the end of that situation and how did you start healing yeah I think um yeah I think you know reflecting on it now like again to use the word complexity it's just so complex like I feel so much I I feel so much like compassion for this person like I think they've had a really tough road in their life and which I didn't know that like you know it takes a while to learn all these things about somebody so um I I do it it was so hard to I loved her so much like so much love so much empathy and so much like such an urge to want to protect her from all the terrible things that had happened to her in her life and that was so conflicting with this this shell of a human I'd become so I found trying to leave really really difficult but eventually it hit a point where I was like I'm I'm not I'm not okay like and my mental health was so bad at the time that I didn't know even how to begin to I don't think I realized how bad it was but I also don't think I even knew how to begin to get myself out of that hole so I one day packed up everything I remember trying to think about like what is my most valuable thing that might get you know destroyed in this in this trying to leave process packed up my car and went to stay with this couple that I'd met um who were like friends of friends they're in their 60s the most oh my god the most beautiful people I think I I miss them like it's so funny because one of them their whole family is from the same area in Tipperary that my parents live so we had this really beautiful connection and they had this Airbnb in their garden which was like um sorry cat basically a glorified shed (laughs) (laughs) 
full of spiders <laughs> and like and that being Australia quite the grim type of spider I'm not afraid of anything like that but oh it was Ooh. there was moments where I'd be in bed and I just see the spider um so I went and stayed there for quite a stretch of time and that was the most awful like awful I would say six weeks of my life like it was so painful it was I was like I was getting these calls all day every day and I was still kind of in the limbo of I hadn't quite gotten to the point of blocking her yet uh calls and texts and calls and texts and calls and texts like all day and night all of the time it was really horrendous um but I knew once I was away from it I got this real clarity about how bad it was and knowing that I couldn't go back to that situation and of course that wasn't the end like the relationship was over at that point but trying to then fully extricate my life from her was really 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 difficult and took a long time and there was a lot many more abusive situations that I ended up in as a result of trying to like separate my life from hers like I got to the point where I was like should I just leave everything that I own in this country there and like not bother with it because it's quite very frightening to try and go back and get it um I remember I got a delivery of toilet paper to my sent accidentally to the old house and I was terrified that my new address was going to be on the the box so I was trying to judge the time she was at work to go with a friend to drive to the house to get the box of toilet paper from the front door before she got there in case she'd find out what my new address was because I'd had to move a couple of times so that she wouldn't know where I was living so it was um yeah it was really 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 painful um but how I started healing was the amazing queer people in my life I there is never enough thanks that I could give to those people for what they did for me like I thought I I have very good friends in Ireland very beautiful people in my life here but they just they treated me like I was literally one of their own like one of their family members and even though we were still in lockdown they just supported me in a way that I'd never been supported before by through friendships and would you believe like the person that I was closest to during that time was actually a like worked in domestic violence and was queer so they they valid they were able to validate my experiences in a way that no one else had been able to and it was through that like bear hug of friendship is the only way I can describe it that I started to come round, and then someone found this therapist I'd seen a couple of therapists that had really invalidated me and made me feel really terrible but then somebody recommended this therapist to me who I still see to this day who I adore and um she she really 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 helped me to start to begin to heal which has taken a long time but I feel like I'm I feel like I've moved on from it now which is why I can speak about it um which is great that's incredible because it was such a horrific situation and also so early on in your journey of kind of coming out and being out and the, the pandemic and everything. <laughs> um, I guess thinking, I know, like you said about abuse, people's experiences are unique to them and there's so many different types, but um, struck by what you said about what your queer friends did to support you. So what were the kind of things they did um, that you found personally the most helpful at that time that just like kept you going they were just there and they were like they were like rocks when they were there like they they just checked in like they would just text me call me ask me how I was make sure that I was eating um like really basic things but they consistently showed up day after day after day after day and like I you know I I think in Ireland we tend to be people pleasers so that's something that I've also had to grow out of and you know like transform that part of myself as well and I had never truly like 
with friends been like I actually need support like I was always the one that was giving the support and very rarely asking for the support and in this situation I had nothing to give like I was broken and they just like stepped into all the cracks of me and like started to very slowly put me back together through the tiniest actions but really it was just consistently being there for me and listening and validating me and um remember one friend I can't remember who it was now it's like you have to read this book and when you read oh my friend Sim Sim was like when you read this book you it will help you start to make sense of your experience but like set a day aside because you're going to cry the whole way through and the book is called In the Dream House by Carmen Machado hope I'm pronouncing that right maybe it's Machado um but uh it was I could have written that book myself like word for word and remember reading that and being like in bits for like two days after I read it which isn't uncommon for me when it comes to uh, <laughs> anything cultural love a good cry um but uh, I always cry books as well oh I cry at, like well, everything like... I just feel so deeply but um yeah I read that book and I remember thinking like okay I get it now and I'm ready to like I'm ready to start to try to move on that was a real moment that yeah. is incredible um I guess I think what and correct me if I'm wrong I'm hearing here that like between your sister and your friends consistency was a real key because I think as well as you know Irish people being people pleasers so if someone says are you okay it's like oh yeah I'm fine when really you're like please help me there's the other thing about not wanting to bother someone um but that it sounds like it's really important to just keep trying keep trying because sometimes I think we know something's not right for your friend Mm. whether it's a situation they're in or you can see they're not themselves, but um, we don't want to push too much in case you annoy them or push them away. Um, but it sounds like it's quite important when someone's at like their darkest point to just hear hear from someone that loves yeah, them. I think so. Like I feel, yeah, I felt like I'd spent so long not being heard and I'd felt so long like not even listening to myself that I think they came in and um, I don't, yeah, they just like incredible people like I, I I often reflect on how much service like members of our community do for each other like how much we care for each other in a practical sense and like how that's not recorded anywhere like I think it's so interesting like you know we look at statistics and facts and information and I'm like actually the queer community support because you know like the queer community has very high instances of mental health issues totally understandably and um, I feel like all the all the voluntary support that we give each other because we are so caring goes unnoticed and I feel like there's, we should be recording it I'm not sure how but I feel like we should well, here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I really agree with you I feel it's always recorded how much we suffer mm-hmm. um, but what isn't seen is how resilient we are and how incredibly supportive we are I know for a lot of people they can really struggle in the community but I, f- and I feel like it's not a community and I hate those words and there is a lot of infighting at the moment but I truly truly believe if you need help and you are able because I know not everyone's able to ask for it you're able to ask for it and put people will go out of their way they don't even have to know you well mm-hmm. and they'll try and connect you with other people to get the help that you need um I, I really firmly believe that about our community I think it's very very special yeah and I think like think you know when we think about community as well like community can be two people like it doesn't have to be 30 people you know when we talk about community like I the community that I had at that time supporting me was very small like it was probably three or four people that really pushed me through that time and um and that believed in me that I could they they had met me before all of this had happened and they knew who I was and they believed that I could get back to that person so I think that was it was their belief in me and even though it was such a small amount of people 
they, they oh yeah they just they were like this yeah I d- there's nothing I could ever do to repay them for like what they did to me did to me did for me <laughs> <laughs> and did to me for me <laughs> and you don't have to repay them because I think another beautiful point you made is um it's okay sometimes when you just need to take from your friends like you said you have nothing to give if your friends are offering you that support and love they're doing it because they can give it and you can just take and then there will be a time when you heal when you can give it I think sometimes we feel like something has to be like this 50 50 balance Mm. and oh it being that people pleaser place like oh I'm too much of a mess right now or I can't put that on them that if people are offering that support and you feel like you need to take it then take it yeah a hundred percent and like how I try to live my life is you know coming always coming from a place of empathy and care for myself and for other people and I feel like if you just hold that as your guiding principle then you can't really go wrong like I think that means that when you need something you can ask for it, but when you have the capacity to give you can give back and like I think the reality is for most of us we more lean into the giving back bucket a lot of the time than we do into the taking bucket or needing needing support bucket um but I think yeah there's enough to go around so I think it's like yeah it's um it's just showing up for each other isn't it and and like you know reaching out and asking someone if they are okay and I really do having lived away and come back like Australians do not people please like it's just not in their nature and that to me was so confronting and refreshing <laughs> to be in this environment of like friends calling me out on my bullshit as well you yeah. know like if I like if I was doing or saying something and they didn't agree with it like one of my friends would be like ah now come on like what are you that's what are you on about and I'd be like yeah you're right and then owning it and being like yeah I am actually wrong or yeah no maybe I didn't show up for myself there how I'd like or I am pushing my responsibilities onto someone else or whatever it looks like and yeah I must say like it can be quite challenging to live this way but I'm actually much happier for it it sounds very honest and yeah sometimes I cringe when I use the word authentic but it, it is very authentic. authentic it is yeah. authentic yeah it, it truly is and I think that isn't that what queer experience is is we're trying to be our most authentic selves so they kind of go hand in hand yeah yeah um that, that sounds incredible thank you so much um before we wrap up um is there any important message that you'd like to just close out with that yeah that you want to make sure you say today yeah I think I think that whole experience for me was probably I don't like to say like the best thing that happened because it was truly awful like it really was but it's changed me completely who I am as a person and I really like who I am now and I really like how I show up for myself in my life and I'm really like you can feel so much shame in those situations and I did for a long time felt like deep shame about what happened to me um, but now I, I feel really proud that I, c- I pushed through and came out the other side. So I think there's kind of two things. One is like, I think I mentioned already, the only person that can stop the abuse is the abuser. So, you know, get the help. Like if you don't get the help the first or the second or the third time, don't stop looking for the help because eventually you'll knock on the right door and the right person will be there to support you and validate you and help you find ways to get out of the situation and move forward and make like, you know, Lee always leave an unsafe situation easier said than done and there's a privilege in being able to do that sometimes but yeah I think that's number one but number two is um I always pay respect to the struggle um the struggle the, the struggle of the last um couple of years of my life to get back to this point has been immense like it's not a it's not a straight line from terrible time to good time it's like up down in around over back <laughs> you know I like I always think it's probably like I had to grieve 
what I went through. Like I had to grieve who I was before. I had to like grieve for the parts of me that changed. I had to like I lost somebody that I really loved. Like like my I would say like my first true true love. Like I lost that, and that's really sad, you know. But I also had to grieve the betrayal of like what had happened to me in the situation. So it was it was it was a really difficult time and a really tr- like transformative time. And I no matter what I go through in my day to day now, like you know like dealing with some we all deal with really difficult things in our life. I kind of feel like no, I can stand on my own two feet and. I got through that, I'll get through anything. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we would like to say a special thank you to Val for speaking to us for this episode. If you or someone you know needs support in relation to domestic abuse, you can contact Women's Aid on 1800 341 900. Dublin Lesbian Line is a support service for the LGBTQAI community in Ireland. DLL is run by volunteers and relies heavily on voluntary contributions. We would greatly appreciate any financial support you can offer. And before we go, we want to, as always, say a big thank you to our very talented musician, Chris Gapehart, for writing the theme music of Women's Star. And we want to thank, as always, Dublin Pride for sponsoring this season. Lastly, if you like the podcast, please spread the word. Thank you for listening and see you next time.